Good morning to you. Glad you're here on this fine Saturday morning. Um, man, a lot of stuff to be praying about. You know, we uh, bombed Syria last night, if you didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> um, and um, we, we, we shouldn't say Syria, the chemical weapon depots, and uh, hopefully. And um, I always wonder, you know, what, what are we really seeing what's going on? But, um, but the British, the French, and the United States went after it. And... Uh, um, you know what, I, I'm not sure I'd want to be, and this is the reason I bring this up, is we need to be praying for our guys. You know, we have 2,000 boots on the ground in Syria, and that might seem like not a lot, but if I'm a soldier, that's probably the last place in the world I'd want to be, is Syria. It's such a mess, and we don't even really know who's who and who's fighting for what reason. It's, it's like um, such a, a convoluted issue um, to know who really you're fighting with. Are we supporting jihadists? Um, uh, you know, we got this really mixed uh, group of people that we're trying to figure out, you know, and uh, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, a tricky, tricky thing. So definitely pray for those guys and gals and people who are involved with that. Um, and uh, the world just kind of being a bit of a mess. But that's why I love, you know, the anchor of, uh, of the word of God coming here to the sanctuary and searching the scriptures and, you know, checking out what the Bible has to say. There's something that's really sol- uh, solid about that. Everything else outside, a little cray cray. <laughs> but uh, but we're good. We're good here. Uh, we got the word. Um, hey, a quick thing. Um, uh, on May 19th, that's going to be our next installment. And we're already talking about May. That's amazing. Um, and uh, that's going to be that one. You know, uh, we usually take a little break from Ironworks for the summer because uh, a lot of family stuff going on and uh, summer's busy. And so we always take those three months off. And usually I give you a summer assignment, which I will uh, this next time as well. <laughs> just something to kind of work on for the summer in case you want to have that. Um, but that's going to be the one where we're going to do a, a barbecue breakfast, May 19th. So the next one. So bring your buddies. Um, we'll have more bacon this year. Um, uh, I didn't realize how luring bacon was. I mean, we were packed house last year at that barbecue one, and uh, we ran out of bacon. By the time I got there, there was like little crumbs, and I was like, mm, you know. Was, uh, but I, I'm not going to wither away to nothing. But um, anyway, we, uh, we'll have plenty of bacon uh, this, ne- this next go-around. Um, so uh, kind of keep that uh, on your calendar. May 19th, that'll be our uh, br- one before we break for the summer. <clears throat> We've done tons of topics. If you're... Um, if you're interested, you can go to our website and look up Ironworks on the search function, and it'll show you all the Ironworks teachings that we've been doing. And we've covered a large list of things um, to a degree. Um, some of those things, I uh, picture us going through um, you know, another tier or two uh, on some of those topics. Uh, and so um, if, if you want, you can kind of catch up on some of the ones you've perhaps missed, and that's good. Um, one of the things I've learned to not do, and this is something that will help you understand why I teach the way I do sometimes, I've learned not to, as a Bible teacher, try to cover the whole enchilada in one sitting. Um, you know, there's almost always uh, two sides to every coin, right? And uh, I've, I've found that if you try to cover both sides of every coin in the Bible, you end up diluting uh, the topic itself. And the reason I've chosen not to do that, even though I tried when I was younger, um, is it, it dilutes it, it messes up the message. And here's why I've, I, I think I'm on good ground. The Bible doesn't try to teach both sides of every coin in every setting or every chapter of every book. Um, you know, um, like uh, one, one topic I might bring up uh, is like divorce. When I talk about divorce at church, it's all, it always gets people uh, in a tizzy. 
Um, you know, if I, if I mention divorce like this, like, man, don't get a divorce. It's going to mess you up. God hates divorce. Uh, uh, and all that thing is, tr- what I just said was true. But then uh, what I've noticed is half the congregation is like, oh, yeah, I'm divorced. And I'm, God must hate me. And, uh, but I can't, I can't teach both sides of that coin necessarily. There'll be a whole nother teaching where I'll talk about, by the way, did you know divorce is not the unpardonable sin? And that divorce is a sin, sure enough, but God forgives and he makes old things pass away, all things become new. And if you have repented of any sin that you were involved with in that divorce and, and you've repented of that, man, the Lord puts your sin as far as the east is from the west and you're brand new in Christ. Like that's the other side of that coin, right? So, so trying to deal with all of that um, can I think mess up the message sometimes. The Bible doesn't try to do it, so I'm not gonna try to do that. One of those topics we covered in Ironworks recently, and that was the work ethic. We talked about, man, let's get it done. And, uh, and have, being a man that's willing to work hard and, and do whatever you do heartily is under the Lord and not under men and, and just getting after it. And, and then my son, Joey, when I was gone, I, I went to a um, thing down in California and, uh, with Corbin University. And, um, and when Joey taught that Wednesday night, Deb and I, that evening, we uh, went out and sat on the beach in San Diego suffering for the Lord. Um, and just sat there in the sand with our little iPhone listening to the Wednesday night Bible study, which was a total blast. But man, I loved that teaching uh, that Joey gave about just, you know, go, let's get after it. Let's get busy and, and do the work. And I, I want a great word. And, and I got to say, uh, Joey, ever since he was a little kid, has had a really big work, work ethic. Um, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of uh, fun watching him grow up uh, because I saw a lot of what I saw in my dad. Like Joey inherited that genetically, I think somehow, just get after it, get busy. Even as a little kid, he was just always willing to work and, um, you know, and he's the guy that has multiple jobs and juggling lots of things and that's just who he is. And so I was like, that's a really good word coming from him, you know, and, and uh, I love that. And that's that one side of that coin that we talked about in the, in the Ironworks with Joey's teaching. But what I want to do today is kind of look at the other side of that coin and deal with the topic of rest. Um, that, that's, that's, and and it's, I'm not going to dilute the previous things by what we talked about, but I want to show you the Bible is very interested in you and I understanding, thinking about what it means to rest. The Hebrew word for rest is Shabbat or Sabbath. That's what the word rest means, Sabbath. Sabbath is rest. Um, and so um, what I've found, though, is there's much confusion about what the Sabbath day means to me or you today. Um, uh, let me just do a little informal poll. How many guys think we should keep the Sabbath? Raise your hand. <laughs> um, that's interesting. How many guys uh, think that it's, um, it's like the law that we should keep? Raise your hand. How many guys think it's um, uh, something that we can kind of sort of uh, figure it out for ourselves and, and do what we feel like the Lord leads us on the Sabbath and not be any rules or anything like that. Hmm, interesting. Um, <laughs> bunch of, you know, uh, yeah, you guys are cheaters, like, uh, you know what I'm saying? I can make it up as I go, relatives. Well, don't worry, I'm not making fun of you because actually we're going to kind of go there today a little bit. Um, and uh, 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 how many of you guys kind of have a, a plan in your mind of what the Sabbath means to you and you're, and you're trying your best to engage in that? Raise your hand. Okay, that's good, that's good. Um, because I think it, it would be good, you know, to be intentional about the Sabbath and say, I need to make sure that I'm doing what the Bible uh, requires of me and, and what God really wants from me and to, to be obedient on this issue of rest, on the issue of Sabbath and, uh, and what it means. 
Um, so let's take a look. Why don't we start at the beginning? Go with me to Genesis. Genesis is uh, that passage where, you know, God, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, I mean, um, this, is, this is the greatest work uh, that was ever, ever done. But it's Genesis chapter 2, verse, verse 1 is where we'll start there. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. So here's the thing. God sets the precedent of what it means to rest. This is the first mention of the word rest in the Bible. Uh, first mention principle for you hermeneutic uh, you know, students and uh, knowing how to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, you always kind of want to look at the very first mention of something in the Bible to set a precedent. And that's a biblical rule, by the way. So here's God setting the precedent. And by the way, on this issue of rest, there's a lot of the biblical authors that would reach back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3 uh, about what it means to, to rest on the Sabbath. So on this issue of the Sabbath, um, here's the question. Um, why did God rest? Anybody want to take a stab at why God rested? An example, I've heard that. What, what were you saying? Enjoy I, it, to enjoy the creation that he made. I think that's part of it. Um, um, was he pooped? Was God like, let there be light? Oh, whew, wait, hold on. Like, was, was that hard for him? Um, is anything too hard for the Lord? No. The Bible it kind of implies and teaches that, you know, in his omnipotence, um, there's no, you know, tiresome uh, feelings. His muscles weren't sore. He didn't need a day off. But it's interesting. He did it. And, and we, we might say it's because he was doing it for an example. And I think that is true because the rest of the Bible uses that as an example. But, but, but I also think um, there's, if it was just to set an example, there's almost like, and forgive me for even saying it this way, but a dishonesty in the resting that he's having. If it's just merely for uh, showing us an example, oh yeah, I'm going to do this just so you guys can. Um, but instead, I wonder if he was, uh, in fact, doing something on the, on the, in, in the definition of the word rest. Maybe it was, um, you know, the, the, the Hebrew word for rest doesn't just mean because you're pooped. It means to stop doing what you were doing before. That's the idea. Stop from what you were doing and do something different. And uh, that's the idea. So then what was God doing when he rested? You know, what, what, what does rest mean to God? And uh, that's where most of the Bible scholars do take it that direction where he was enjoying the creation that he had made. And we do know that's something God does and did. Uh, remember, he looked at all the things he had made and said, ah, oh, it is good. Have you ever been out at, uh, just in creation and just, just stopped and saw that snapshot where Oh man, that's this is just good. Look at look at how beautiful. Look at a starry night or a sunset or out in the woods. You just see something. It's just like wow, this is good. Well, God did that with His creation. He He stopped and said, "It is good." Just enjoying the work that He had done. Now tuck that away because that might have something to do with what you're supposed to be doing on the Sabbath uh, as a man who's created in God's God's image. Um, so that's where this first precedent is set in Genesis uh, chapter two. Now. Um, let's discuss this for a second because let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. 
You know, it's interesting when I think about the Sabbath, um, I think part of this is uh, everybody has to have a stopping point at some time to stop doing what you're doing. Um, you know, and, and it's funny, as a pastor, I've found there's always, there's always somebody in the hospital that I could go and visit. Especially of a church, you know, of over 5,000 people, there's always people in the hospital. Um, there's always funerals uh, that we are to attend. And, you know, funerals are, are big time things. Like as a pastor, you don't just go, eh, I think I'll just throw that off to somebody else. Uh, you don't do that as a pastor. You're, you're always on. And we've had two of our brothers in, in church this week uh, go to be with the Lord. Um, man, pray for Michael Hunt's wife. He was killed. If you guys know Michael, he was a major feature here at Athey. A great dude. I used to ride dirt bikes with him. And um, just a young guy in his 30s. Um, and uh, was on his way over to Bend. And a car slid in the ice and slid over in his lane. And pretty much head-on collision and killed him and his dog um, uh, he's one of our security guys uh, in the back, uh, you know, and, and just a heartbreaking deal. And his wife, Chelsea, we're doing the funeral this uh, coming Saturday. If you, know, you, if you knew Michael, man, you're welcome to come 10 o'clock Saturday. Um, uh, we have Jim Kumo, who's just a great brother here at Athey Creek, who is a police officer in Beaverton and a soldier as well. And, um, you know, just, um, uh, just a really great guy. And he uh, was battling cancer and he went home to be with the Lord yesterday. Um, you know, and as a pastor, I, I feel like, man, there's just not enough time to reach into people's lives. And, and man, you just get busy and stuff. Keep their family in prayer as well. But, uh, you know, that's, those are things that, you know, you deal with as a pastor. A lot of people think that I sit around and study all day and get ready for my Sunday teachings. Uh, that's usually not the case. <laughs> and uh, it probably shows in my teachings as well. Uh, is Brett winging this? Um, the answer is yes, uh, most of the time. Um, but uh, but uh, there's a lot to do. Uh, it's, it's the teaching and studying and stuff like that. That's the icing on the cake. But I actually have another job that's 40 hours a week that uh, is, is very much including stuff that people, you know, in jail that I visit. Um, I, I, you know, um, and, and, you know, there's always a phone call that needs answering. I had one lady says, called this week and told the ladies at the front, I will only talk to Pastor Brad. I don't want to talk to one of those other pastors. Uh, I have to talk to Pastor Brad. And, you know, and, and it's funny how they think I have some kind of anointing. Uh, and I'm like, well, when I get in trouble, I'd call my pastors for help. Like, why, why don't you talk to the, the rest of the crew, you know, and, and the guys? And, and that's just part of the deal. It's just what people see. I'm the big mouth uh, up here. And people kind of say, well, Brett's got something to say. I guess I'll give him a call. You know, there's always a scripture that I should know better. There's always more family time I should spend. There's always more, you know, investment I should do in my, in my marriage with my wife. Like as a, as a man, you guys, we can be spread thin and you'll never really achieve or arrive at being done. Is that fair to say? You older guys are going, yeah, we've been doing it for 50 years and we still haven't caught up to it, right? You never will. You never will. Um, and so it's, it's, it's for that reason, this topic is important. You need to know where the stopping point is supposed to be. You need to know when to say, you know what? Enough is enough. And it's time to do what the Bible tells me to do and, and, and do this Sabbath rest and, and engage in it. So, um, uh, so that's part of this, this deal. Um, um, the first thing I want to do, I'm going to break this down into five sections and we're going to, we're going to kind of do some defining stuff. In fact, first we'll talk about Sabbath's description. Number one, Sabbath's description, then Sabbath's delight, Sabbath's danger, Sabbath's dilemma, and Sabbath's design. Okay, so that's, those are just D words. Hopefully it kind of helps us remember some of this stuff. First of all, the Sabbath description. 
Um, one of the best descriptions right here in Exodus chapter 20. Um, and this is why so many of your hands went up, I believe, when I said, should you keep the Sabbath? And most of your hands went up as yes. Um, and it comes from the big 10 right here. In, in Exodus chapter 20, we have the 10 commandments. Uh, the fourth of these 10 commandments is there in verse eight, Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that, is in, uh, that, all that in them is, and rested on the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now, before somebody says, well, this is the law, this is something that um, I find confusion on a lot of guys, and that is um, the Ten Commandments, uh, we, we say, well, that's the law, right? Would you say the Ten Commandments is the law? It is. Um, but some guys are like, yeah, but Brett, we're no longer under the law. Galatians says, you know that, uh, we, we read in the, the epistles of Paul that the law is a schoolmaster that drives us to Jesus Christ, so we're no longer under the law. And, and praise the Lord, that's true, right? Because if we were under the law, uh, when you were disobedient as a child, your parents should have taken you outside of the city and stoned you to death when you were disobedient, right? I mean, that's the law. Uh, now, by the way, there's no example in history where the Jews actually did that, um, uh, but the Bible also says you can't, you can't do it. You can't keep the law. That's why it's there. It's to show our sin. The, the law reveals our need uh, that we cannot keep the law. And so we're not under that law. And, and the scriptures talk about, man, if you're going to try to keep one point of law, you've got to keep the whole law. And, uh, and some of that is, is just something we can't do. But we need to define our law. The law of Moses is the laws, 613 laws given to the Jews by Moses on you know, everything from what they're supposed to eat to the day of the Sabbath and how to keep it holy um, to uh, what you're supposed to do uh, with um, cleanliness and, and all kinds of stuff. Like, like there's all kinds of laws. You're not supposed to eat bats. I know that some of you struggle with that, um, but that's part of the law, no eating of bats. Um, uh, but, but here... Um, the, the Exodus 20 is not the law of Moses. I like to refer to it more as the law of God. There's a difference. There's the law of God, which is the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, which is the 613 commandments given by Moses to the Jews uh, in that dispensation of time where the Jews were, were trying to keep those laws and, and, um, and they failed. I gotta say, they failed uh, in that. And those laws were to drive us to Jesus Christ. But the Ten Commandments, it seems like these tend to, go way beyond um, outside of the scope of the law of Moses. Now the Sabbath is, is, is more confusing because these 10 commandments are so, they sort of stand alone pretty easily. You know, thou shalt not kill. Um, we go, okay, that's good. Uh, that's a pretty good law. Pretty much everybody in every culture for every age agrees. That's not a good thing, murder. But the Sabbath is the trickiest perhaps of the 10 because it's, it's so closely linked to the law of Moses. The law of Moses goes into great detail of what the Sabbath means for the Jew. And so you and I as Gentiles, we look at the Ten Commandments and say, remember the Sabbath. And then you read all the stuff in the law of Moses about the Sabbath. You're like, do we have to do all that? And that starts to make things a little bit less uh, clear to, to so many. But 
but the reference here doesn't say, remember the Sabbath, like Moses is gonna give you all the details of how to do that. It's referring back to Genesis 2, 2, when it says, remember the Sabbath, even as God did his work six days on the seventh day rest. And so the, the model, the example is what God did in Genesis for the 10 commandment version of the Sabbath. And, and I say version because this is gonna be kind of a key. What is the version of the Sabbath that you and I are to keep? Because there, there are multiple versions. There's the version from Genesis uh, uh, 2, 2, um, and, and that's pretty simple. God was working and he stopped. That's the first version of the Sabbath. But you know, you can get all the way to the time of Jesus when the, 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 the Pharisees said on the Sabbath day, you gotta take out your false teeth because you're carrying something and that, that constitutes work. And so you, know, you can only uh, you know, take out your false teeth. You can't light a fire. You can't travel anywhere. You just have to sit there and not even hardly move. Like the laws of the Sabbath became crazy by the time Jesus was around. So much so that they thought Jesus was breaking the law of the Sabbath, even though he wasn't. He was breaking the traditions of men when he was out picking corn on the Sabbath or when he was healing on the Sabbath. They said, that's, that's work. You shouldn't be doing that. And, and obviously by that time, they'd lost it of what the Sabbath really meant. That's when Jesus said these words, you know, hey, you know man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Um, it was to be a blessing, a benefit to man, not a bummer for man. Um, and Jesus had to say those words and they, they were like, blasphemy, I can't believe he said that. Um, so they, they kind of missed the point. I think a lot of people perhaps even to this day miss the point. There are some legalists today, even entire denominations that have become kind of strange uh, legalistically about the Sabbath. And some of you maybe were uh, raised in that tradition and I wanna kind of make sure and clarify some of these things. But here in the big 10 commandments version, it reaches back to God uh, and creation, Genesis 2, 2 um, on the Sabbath day. So its definition is really uh, that Hebrew word meaning rest, Sabbath. Um, now, it's interesting because um, in, in this world, um, the way business happens and the way we do our work, a lot of times, um, you know, humanity um, wants to try to get ahead and work seven days a week. And one of the things you can see if you look in history is that never really helped anybody. Working seven days, trying to get ahead, you really never really see that help anybody, at least for long periods of time. And that's something that you should kind of know about. Um, Mark chapter two, verse 27 and 28 says this. It says, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, um, so, Jesus is saying this in Mark chapter two, that, that Jesus himself is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this is where we start to get into its definition. Um, and I want you to kind of tuck away in the back of your mind, who's the Lord of the Sabbath? Because the whole answer to the Sabbath day goes to Jesus Christ. Um, I believe the Sabbath day principle in the law of the Jews, the law of Moses, is to point us to the, the fulfillment of the ultimate Sabbath in Jesus Christ. One of the things that we study as we go through the Bible, if you've been through, us, through it with us, we study the law of Moses. And I've had people say, Brett, we're no longer under that law. Why do we even waste time studying the law of Moses? The answer, because the law of Moses, and we're not talking about the law of God, the 10 commandments. The law of Moses points us to Jesus Christ in every way, shape, and form. Um, Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law. 
so that when we study the law of the, of the book of you know, Exodus, Leviticus, we start to see that there's a picture being painted of Jesus in his perfect righteousness. Um, and the Sabbath is just like that. The, even the mosaic level of the Sabbath, the one that Jews were to keep, points us to the rest that we find in Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We'll get into that more. But by definition, it means rest, and it's linked to Jesus Christ, this idea of the Sabbath. A Jewish rabbi uh, once said, those who work with their minds tend to Sabbath with their hands. Those who work with their hands tend to Sabbath with their minds. There's an interesting thing there. What was this rabbi saying? Um, is, is the Sabbath sort of um, by definition or description a relative thing? See, in the law of Moses, the, the Sabbath was not a relative thing because it was very clearly defined what they should and shouldn't do. But then when you start to see the way the Sabbath sort of shakes out um, in the New Testament, it seems different somehow, seems different somehow. Um, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit further. So the description is rest. This is the main thing you need to go away with on the description of what the Sabbath is, rest. Um, but then number two, the Sabbath's delight. The delight, well, what are, you, what are you talking about, delight? Well, it's Isaiah. Why don't you turn there, Isaiah chapter 58. And in Isaiah 58, the prophet says some stuff about the Sabbath that I think is very enlightening, but it speaks of the delight of the Sabbath. How many of you guys are just delighted when you think about the Sabbath? Um, you know, it's funny because a lot of us have sort of a negative connotation of what the Sabbath means. Like, oh, the Sabbath, yeah, I better, I better take this, do the Sabbath. I better not go have fun that day because the Sabbath. Um, a lot of people try to think of it as a bummer. But check out Isaiah, the prophet, in um, chapter 58, verse 13. It says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day. Now notice what it says, doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight. The holy of the Lord honorable uh, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thy own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Then shalt thou delight thyself <clears throat> in the Lord and I will cause thee to ride upon high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, <clears throat> for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Remember how Jesus, in the definition of the Sabbath, said the man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for, the, for man. It was meant to be a blessing, not a bummer. And here the prophet Isaiah um, is only confirming what Jesus said, because Jesus is always right. But he said, you know, that word delight, but then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. Does that remind you of another scripture? Remember how, you know, the psalmist said, delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give you what? The desires of your heart. Um, this is an interesting thing about the Sabbath. There's this word delight um, that's associated. Thou shalt delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon high places in the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father. Um, these are, this is a language of saying, this is going to be awesome for you. If you delight in the Sabbath, things you'll ride in high places. That, that's, that's really a King James Old Testament way of saying, getting where you want to be in life. Uh, to, to, to cause a, a man to ride in high places, that's, that's in our terms, you know, I think to be successful uh, in every way, shape, and form as a godly man in this world. The Sabbath is linked to that. 
Um, and the delight of the Sabbath, it's, it's a joy, it's a, it's a blessing, not a bummer. It's always amazing how when we say, oh yeah, the Sabbath, but here's God saying, I need you to take and rest. Uh, you, need to, you need to kick back and chill out. And we're going, oh, bummer. It's actually a really great idea. Uh, you get a vacation. Uh, and everybody's like, yeah, bummer, the Sabbath. See, I think we missed the point a little bit. Um, it's not a got to, but it's a get to. Now, let me, let me make that differentiation. If you're a Jew in the Old Testament, it's a got to. I just got to say it. The law is a got to. I, I, I can see why the Jews um, failed in keeping their Sabbaths. Um, one of the reasons, if you recall, for the captivity in Babylon for 70 years is they refused to keep the year of the Sabbath, uh, let the land go fallow on that seventh year. Like the God, uh, God took the, the Sabbath day principle very seriously. So they ended up 70 years in captivity of Babylon because of the Sabbath issue. And the, so the, the Jewish law of the Old Testament, the law kills, yeah, it was a, it was a hard, tedious task. But I believe that it's not a bummer when we look at it in a new, as a New Testament Gentile or Jew who's a Christian in the New Testament. The Sabbath goes back to what it was originally tended, intended to be by God, a day of rest and a delight and a joy. Um, in fact, by the way, I think all of our faith really is meant to be a joy. If, if any part of your interpretation of scripture is, is you going, oh, what a bummer, you're interpreting it wrong. That's a good rule of thumb, by the way. That we should actually see everything we read in Scripture and go, wow, this is awesome. God is good and he really knows what he's doing. If you don't have that mindset, if you're like, I disagree with God, it means you're just not getting it, nor am I. Um, uh, some people are really good at that. Have you ever met a guy that's just always negative? Um, always comes up with kind of the, the bummer and they see the dark side of everything? It's sort of the Eeyore versus the Tigger. Um, uh, I know Christians that just can find negativity in almost anything. Pout to the Lord, all the earth, let us cling. Like, it's like, like, like they can even make the best of songs sound horrible. It's like, like there's Christians that go around like that. The Sabbath is one of those things that gets a bad rap. And it should be something that gives us great joy. It's a delight. It's supposed to be a blessing. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. So um, Sabbath description, day of rest. Sabbath delight, it's a joy. It's meant to be a joy. Number three, the Sabbath danger. Now here's where it gets tricky, and, and some of you might even disagree with me on this, especially if you were raised as a Seventh-day Adventist, and you've got kind of that hardcore, man, the Sabbath is not Sunday, and it's Saturday, and you better keep it or else. Like some of you were raised with that. How many guys were raised with that kind of a, kind of a heavy, like you got to keep the Sabbath, it's the law? None of you? Wow, that's amazing. A lot, a lot of, there are a lot of people I've met over the years who kind of have this, what do we do? We're breaking the law by meeting on Sunday. Some people believe meeting on Sunday is taking the mark of the beast. Have you ever heard that one? Um, like some of the hardcore Seventh-day Adventists, and there's different levels of Seventh-day Adventists, but the hardcore, I've had some come to our church saying, you have taken the mark of the beast by meeting on Sunday. And um, I say, nope, uh, the mark of the beast is totally unrelated to that. <laughs> but uh, the Sabbath danger is simple. It's legalism to be legalistic about the Sabbath. The Pharisees made the Sabbath a legalistic nightmare. But they also figured out loopholes. Like, uh, it's fun to read history. Look it up sometime. Like, you know, when I talk about the false teeth thing, that's, that's like one of the more uh, crazy things that we talk about. You know, you know it's doing work. taking. But it's not just the false teeth. There's so many funny things. Did you know the Pharisees in Jesus' time, by that time, they 
you couldn't travel anywhere on the Sabbath day. They were stuck in their little homes. But the Pharisees figured out the loophole. If you took a rope or a sheet or something that you, know, you could make long and tied things end to end and tied the rope to your door handle uh, and then, and then you'd, you'd hang on to that and then walk down the street and then tie your rope to your neighbor's door handle, then that constituted the same house. So you weren't actually traveling. You'd go to your buddy's house because your ropes were tied to your doorknobs. And then because that was, that flew as legitimate and, uh, in, you know, the Jewish, um, you know, interpretation of Sabbath laws, they, they said, hey, well, if I can, you know, make my rope go to Bill's house on the Sabbath, let's have Bill then make his rope go to Steve and then Steve's house to, you know, Sam. And, and, and pretty soon they had this web of ropes going all over Jerusalem and you could travel as far as you wanted. It was still technically your house. That's how ridiculous it got. Um, you know, today in Jerusalem, um, the Sabbath is like my least favorite day. It, it is still a Jewish law bummer to be in Jerusalem on the Sabbath because everything's closed, man. Everything's closed. But that's, 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 I'll take that. I remember when I was a kid. Do you guys, you older guys, do you remember when Sunday everything was shut down? I remember being in Oklahoma City once uh, and I went, uh, went over to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. I'm like, I'm gonna go get Chick-fil-A because we didn't have any here then. So I was all excited to go to Chick-fil-A and they were closed on Sunday. I'm like, oh, bummer. Then I felt kind of convicted, like, oh, here's a company that's saying we're taking a Sabbath day, and I should probably get behind that, but um, I wish I had some chicken right about now. Um, <laughs> chicken's good on the Sabbath, too, but, uh, but I, I had to say I'm sorry to the Lord because these people are doing something good. But, um, but, yeah, when you go to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, let me just give you a word of advice. Do not, at any cost, do not get on the Sabbath elevator. <laughs> How many of you guys have been on a Sabbath elevator in Jerusalem? Big goof. Do you remember the, the movie Elf when he was on the elevator and he pushed all the buttons and, and made them all light up because he thought it looked pretty and then the elevator stopped at every point? That's the Sabbath elevator right there. The reason the Jews in Jerusalem have the Sabbath elevator is because if you're a good, you know, um, Sabbath uh, um, observing Jew, you get on the elevator and to, and it depends on which Jew you talk to about this, but to push the button might be constituted as work. Or some say, no, by pushing the button, you're closing an electric circuit, um, which is constituted as building a circuit. You're building something. Um, I've even heard um, that you're actually creating uh, electricity doing something, which is to light a fire on the Sabbath. And so the Jews say, hey, we, we'll solve this. All you have to do is step onto the elevator and it'll eventually, after three or four weeks, get you to the floor because uh, it stops at every floor, opens the door and closes, stops to the next floor. Open. They don't touch anything. They don't touch any buttons. They don't close any circuits. They just kind of stepped onto the elevator and, and then they're free of breaking that law. Do you think that was the heart of God for the Sabbath? You know, is that, is that really what, what, what the original intent was? Now, I'm not knocking the Jews. Um, one thing about the Jews, you got to give them credit, is a lot of these Jews are trying, even to this day, as they missed the Messiah, Jesus, they're still trying, many of them, to, to observe um, the Jewish laws, the Mosaic laws. And that's why there's this kind of uh, overarching, you know, you can't find a cheeseburger anywhere in Israel because you're mixing cheese, dairy, with meat. And um, the law forbids, you know, eating the meat and, and drinking the milk uh, of, of the same cow that was slaughtered for the meat or, uh, you know, used for the milk. And you're, you're not supposed to mix those. So, you, you know, you'll never find meat on a pizza in Jerusalem. 
Um, those are some of the more tragic things uh, in, in, <laughs> that I've seen uh, in Israel. Um, I miss those, those kinds of things. But all that to say, um, I could go on and on at the regulations, modern times, but even maybe crazier in Jesus's time of what the Sabbath meant to the Jews. And it was a real bummer. And it was very legalistic, very, very legalistic. Um, look at a couple scriptures with me. Um, if you want, you can just jot them down or quickly turn there. John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, uh, Jesus um, was um, doing his, you know, ministry. In John chapter 5, verse 16, um, it says, And therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him, because he had done these things on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, the Sabbath day. Verse 17, But Jesus answered them, he said, my father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought to, the more to kill him, because not only had he broken the Sabbath, um, but said uh, also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Um, interesting, the Jews, they didn't think that he, Jesus was just saying, you know, me and God, we're tight. They knew himself to be making himself equal with God, which he was doing. And he was the only man that ever lived on the earth that could make that claim. But the Jews rejected that. And, and, and it wasn't just because of the Sabbath, but he made himself equal with God. But that's the thing that really sparked their hatred and, and um, you know, wanting to destroy him was because of this Sabbath day issue. Jesus healed the guy. And, and, and Jesus' defense was, hey, my father did a work, so I'm going to do the work. Um, and, and that was kind of the, the thing. And, and that would have just blown the mind of the Jews at the time to think that you'd, you'd be doing the work of God on the Sabbath in that way. Um, that's John 5. Go to Luke chapter 14. Luke, go back there, chapter 14. And another incident there that's kind of important. In Luke chapter 14, verse 1, it says, It came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day that they watched him. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had the dropsy. And Jesus answering spake unto the lawyers and Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? <laughs> I love this. Um, you know, he's totally, you don't mess with Jesus when it comes to these little discussions, little debates that these lawyers and Pharisees were trying to have. They'd already been put down several times just not being clueless. And now Jesus is asking them, hey, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And it says here, Verse four, and they held their peace. <laughs> and he took, he took him and healed him and let him go and answered them saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fallen into a pit and will not straightway pull him out of, uh, on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him again to these things. Um, the idea is Jesus is saying, be reasonable. If you've got a donkey that falls into a pit and he's gonna die, which one of you guys aren't gonna go down and you know, get, now getting a donkey out of a pit, that's work right there. Uh, compared to pushing the Sabbath day elevator button, no big deal. Uh, the getting a donkey out of it, that's some serious work. <laughs> and Jesus, Jesus says, which one of you guys are not gonna do that? But they didn't wanna answer because the Jewish tradition that was associated with the Jewish law um, didn't really allow for that. But Jesus, he was pointing out the lunacy of the level that they take in the Sabbath principle. And they, it was almost like they were missing the whole point. And that's what Jesus was trying to articulate. And they couldn't answer Jesus on that topic. Um, 
and so, uh, so the idea is, what, what then does a Sabbath day mean? Now, now there's some interesting things about um, the Ten Commandments. Um, this, is, this is where it gets a little tricky. Um, question, are the Ten Commandments reinforced in the New Testament? That's an interesting question. If you do a hardcore study uh, of, the, of the New Testament, you say, are, are all the Ten Commandments reinforced um, in the New Testament? The answer is yes, except for perhaps one, the Sabbath day issue. Um, you can jot some of this down. You know, the Ten Commandments listed in Exodus 20 that we read, uh, verses 1 through 17. That's, that's the whole thing. Nine of them were reinstituted in the New Testament. And I use that word reinstituted by saying, yes. As Gentile Christians in the New Testament church, there are these 10 commandments. Six of them are in Matthew 19, 18. Uh, murder, adultery, stealing, false witness, honoring your parents, worshiping God. Um, Romans 13, 9 um, reinstitutes the commandment, of course, of covetousness or coveting. Um, you know, worshiping God properly covers the first three commandments. You know, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, nor other gods before me, those kinds of things. Um, and they were, they were reinforced. So all of them were reinstituted, reinforced in the New Testament. Um, but the one that wasn't reaffirmed in the same um, sort of fervor and level, interestingly enough, in the New Testament was the Sabbath. Instead, Jesus seems to almost change the meaning of what the Sabbath is. That's where it gets a little weird in the New Testament. On the, on the, uh, the, the fourth commandment of keeping the Sabbath, remembering to keep it holy, um, Jesus then in Matthew chapter 12, verse eight, um, teaches that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. The Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and, and that's something that would be totally new to a Jew. Um, in, in the Old Testament Jew, the idea of Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath, they didn't know anything about that. So Jesus is teaching them something new. And so the, you, it's hard to say that the New Testament version is the same reinstitution of the Old Testament version. Um, what do you mean, Brett? Well, the Old Testament version means you keep a specific day, set it aside, and make it holy. But in the New Testament, that specificity is not quite as reinforced. Let me give you a couple examples. Um, wouldn't you agree that like in the Old Testament, if you're a Jew, Sabbath day is pretty clearly defined. Like nobody's arguing that Sabbath should be on a Sunday if you're an Old Testament Hebrew Jew, right? Is any, nobody's making that argument. In fact, technically it's from sundown Friday night um, uh, until sundown Saturday evening. And by the way, in, in Jerusalem, I love Saturday evening. Once the sun goes down, man, everything lights back up. All the shops are open again and there's plenty of food and good stuff going on. But, uh, but that's the Sabbath and that's the way it was through the whole Old Testament. So nobody's arguing about a Sunday Sabbath. And then once the New Testament comes, then you got all this disagreement. Is the Sabbath Sunday? Should, is that the Lord's day? When should our day of rest be? And so you've got the Seventh-day Adventists arguing for Saturday and you know, a lot of the church saying, no, it's Sunday. And everybody gets all up in a tizzy and there's confusion. Why did that happen when Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried and rose from a grave? Why was suddenly there was confusion? My argument is this, because Jesus sort of, um, move the Old Testament version, whether you're talking about the law of Moses or the law of God, that version of the Old Testament Sabbath gets some new definition because Jesus is pictured by the Sabbath. 
Because the Sabbath was meant to point us to Jesus Christ. You could almost say it in this way. The same way they would sacrifice lambs on an altar on the temple, and it was pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God. So we in the New Testament, we don't sacrifice lambs on an altar. We have the table of communion where we eat the bread and drink the cup, remembering what Jesus, would you agree that's something Jesus changed? When he came, he said, there's no more sacrifice of bulls, rams, goats, lambs, but Jesus is that lamb that changed. I would argue that the Sabbath, maybe not quite as radically, but in a similar way, was sort of changed when the Messiah came, who's, you know, the Sabbath is a beautiful picture of Jesus. He says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Uh, Brad, I don't know about that. Well, go with me. Now, here's some key passages. Um, If you have family members say, the Sabbath is on Saturday, and you Athe Creekers are Colossians chapter 2. Go there with me real quick. Um, In Colossians you know, they're dealing with those questions. What about the Sabbath and the new moons and the feasts and the festivals and, you know, keeping of all this stuff? What do we do? But Paul takes a bunch of pressure off in Colossians chapter two. Um, And he says this, in Colossians chapter two, verse 16. Now you gotta remember Paul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. If anybody was a Sabbath keeper, it would have been Paul. And he says something that would, just, would blow their minds. In 2.16 of Colossians, it says, let no man therefore judge you in meat, you know, that's the, the food that you eat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. This is where, um, this is hard for the Jewish population. Even my buddy Steve there in Jerusalem is a Christian, loves Jesus, you know, and and believes the Bible. But this is where he's kind of like, eh, I don't know. You know, like this is really hard because, you know, raised as a Jew, this is is a stress to say, don't let any man, man judge you about the day that's the Sabbath or anything. Like this is hard for people. But, um, but for us as Gentiles, we've become very comfortable with it, probably most because of ignorance. Like whatever, Saturday, Sunday, whatever. But when you're a Bible student, you've got this tension of the Sabbath and what's the deal. And here Paul sort of removes that tension by saying, don't let anybody judge you concerning the new moons, festivals and feasts is the idea there. And um, with the law of the Sabbath, um, because they're a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Jesus is the real body. Those other things were shadows, Um, And this is something we have to remember. Um, A lot of times people get really into the Jewish laws. We've had people, I remember my very first trip I took to Israel, um, there was a group of people from Athey Creek who were all excited to go to Israel. And they were, I I don't know how to say it, but they were sort of Israel crazy. Man, they loved Jewish traditions and the feasts and festivals. Now here's the problem, I do too. But I love them because they're shadows that point us to Jesus Christ. So I'm more into Jesus and the body of Jesus than I am in the shadow of Jesus. You see what I'm saying? So I took this group to Israel and they came back basically practicing Jews. And they started getting kind of strange and they were trying to become sort of, you know, um, acting like Jews that happened to be Christians. And they were all Gentiles, you know, trying to act like Jews. Um, And they kind of missed the point. And you know, they're the ones that walked around on Sunday night worship where they had matzah bread in their pockets. And they would come up to a person who was eating the pita bread that we had at the time. Um, uh, and they'd say, that's not real communion bread. You gotta have matzah. And they'd pull matzah and say, this is the real bread. And people were like, weirdo. 
<laughs> you know, it's just a weird thing. Now, um, now what's funny is we use matzo bread now. You might think, no, you use saltine crackers. Yeah, pretty much. No, no, we use real matzo bread um, uh, because it's fun. But I didn't use matzo bread at that time just because they were saying we had to use matzo bread. We're, we're not under any law or weird legalism. It's all a picture pointing to Jesus Christ. Um, and I always use that example if I come home and my beautiful wife, Debbie, runs out to greet me as I come home from work. Oh, Brad, and she runs out and, and then she falls down on the ground and starts kissing my shadow and hugging my shadow and saying, oh, I love you. And, she's, and I'm, I'm like, honey, I'm right here. Uh, you can hug me, you can kiss me. But she's more into my shadow than she is me. How would that make me feel as a husband? That's the point. The people that get really into, it's all about the Sabbath, it's all about the keeping of the laws and the festivals, the feasts, and the new moons. They're missing the body of Christ. He came, he died, he was buried and rose from the grave. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's all about Jesus. And we can miss it because we get so into the issue of the Sabbath. And so here's Paul saying, don't let anybody judge you concerning new moons, festivals, feasts. Now, by the way, I, I was talking to a Seventh-day Adventist guy once and he's like, yeah. I was showing him that scripture. He's like, yeah. Don't let anybody judge you about the new moon. Like we believe the Sabbath is, is supposed to be on Saturday, so don't judge me about that. And I remember as a young guy talking to this guy, I was like, what do I say to that? And actually I realized that's right. Don't let any man judge you whether you're into Sabbath on the Saturday or on a Sunday or a Tuesday. Don't let any man judge you concerning these things because these things are pointing to Jesus Christ. The main thing is that you're getting and understanding Jesus, his work, his person, loving him, following him, worshiping him. That's the main point. Um, there's another scripture uh, that kind of takes off the pressure uh, of, of the law of the Sabbath, like the commandment. Oh, you gotta keep the Sabbath. Romans chapter 14, verse five. You can turn there or jot it down. Romans. Um, Romans uh, 14, 5. Now, um, this again, Paul talking to the Romans, different audience, different group. Listen to this. In Romans 14, 5, it says, One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Now this is, this is kind of cracks me up because um, uh, you guys that have been around here, you know, at Athey, you know that I'm pretty anti-relativism. You know, relativism is one of the dumbest things that we do in modern day culture. And we come up with what is true in your mind may not be true in my mind and there's no absolutes and that whole ridiculous worldview that has got us into all kinds of trouble. How many of you guys agree with that? Oh good, Phew. I was worried. Some of you were looking at me a little scary. I was like, <laughs> no, just... now, the thing is, so I, I have to say that as a caveat because once in a while the Bible gives us sort of an out in an area of kind of a relativism kind of way. So as an anti-relativism guy, isn't it funny that Paul would say one guy puts one day above another, Saturday over Sunday or Sunday over Saturday. Um, another esteemeth every day alike. Like it's no big deal, whatever. Um, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. That's relativism in sort of a, a certain way. But, but this is the Bible saying, as far as the day itself, that's relative to what God has shown you personally. 
There's a couple places, by the way, in the Bible. Remember Paul says, well, do what you, th- what you think is right. Does, is this right? Does this seem right to you? Paul would say, and, and he gives us sort of that out on certain topics of saying, don't make a huge deal out of this. And this happens to be one of them. And it's so funny how so many people make a giant deal out of the Sabbath or keeping of the Sabbath. So you're saying, okay, Brett, got it. Um, that's, I guess, you know, or whatever. But here's the thing, the danger... The Sabbath danger, I've told you the Sabbath description, it's to rest, like the Lord rested from his work. The Sabbath delight is God meant it to be a blessing, not a bummer. Um, But the Sabbath danger is the legalistic nightmare that it's become, not only during the time of Jesus, but even today, people get all legalistic about it. Um, By the way, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of my favorite preachers from the 1800s in London, England, he said, I am no preacher of the old legal Sabbath. I'm a preacher of the gospel. The Sabbath of the Jew is to him a task. The Lord's day of the Christian, the first day of the week, is to him a joy, a day of rest, of peace, and of thanksgiving. And if you Christian men are, can earnestly drive away all distractions so that you can really rest today, it would be good for your bodies, good for your souls, good mentally, good spiritually, good temporally, and good eternally. Do you sense, you know, here's an old preacher from the 1800s during a time where, you know, that kind of legalism was pretty rampant. And he's saying, man, just, just rest. Do what's good for your bodies. Do what's good for your souls, your spirit, um, and rest. Uh, but I'm no preacher of the Sabbath. I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, I love that. That's, that's kind of a good way of putting it. It's not legalism. It's just wisdom. Um, So all that to say, the Sabbath danger is to become legalistic about it. And I hope none of us are that way. Um, If you have strong feelings on the Sabbath, you know what you're going to hear from me? Like if you came up to me afterwards, because I know there's going to be probably a couple of you that will write me an email (laughs) uh, and say, well, you're you're off on the Sabbath day one. You really should be keeping a Sabbath. And it is the Ten Commandments. They're not the Ten Suggestions. What would happen if we took all the commandments as suggestions? Uh, I don't think I'm going to murder today. Or, um, you know, I think I'll commit adultery only once in a while, but, you know, because it's like, that's the argument. They, they say the Ten Commandments are the commandments. And I would, I would agree with that, but, but more than me arguing with that person about the, the, the Ten Commandments, the fourth one, the Sabbath, I would say, I'll, I'll repeat Romans 14 and to say, man, do what is right and how God has persuaded you concerning the Sabbath, do that. And if you feel like it's Saturday and you want to hold that dear and important, then I, I'm behind you on that. But I, I would also say don't make other people follow your conviction on that because Romans, Colossians chapter 2, kind of takes that pressure off of us as Gentile Christians who it's really, it's, it's mostly about the rest of Jesus Christ. Um, that's kind of an important thing. The danger is legalism. Now, the Sabbath dilemma, number four, we're almost done. The dilemma is because of that, a lot of us, here's the dilemma, because many of you already kind of, either you know what I, what, I, what I just taught there about the Sabbath and, and taking off the pressure and not being heavy on the legalistic side. Because of that, the dilemma is we don't take a Sabbath. We American Gentile church, we say, ha, I'm free, liberty in Christ, I can do whatever I want. So we work and we work and we work and we don't even know what it looks like to take rest. We miss the point of the Genesis 2-2 that God rested so we should rest. 
And it's, it's not a got to, it's a get to. And it's something that I think men today don't do because we have liberty in Christ and we're not under the law. And even in the 10 commandment issue, it's funny how the, 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 the fourth commandment's the one that the New Testament doesn't reaffirm in the same way of all those other 10 commandments. It's kind of amazingly odd that that one, all the pressure, if you really look at it, kind of is off. So the dilemma is we just say, I don't have to do that. But we're weaker and we're pooped and we're not getting ahead and we're wondering why. You see, I don't look at the Sabbath as a law. I look at it as a, as a principle of God. It's a different thing, a principle of God, where we see God demonstrating it in creation. We see the law pointing to it as something that's really important. And so why in the world wouldn't we apply the principle uh, to our lives? I, I, I sort of liken the Sabbath to tithing. Is it the law that you tithe every Sunday? The answer is no. Um, and, uh, and pastors that try to make that case that you gotta tithe because it's the law and you're a Christian so you better tithe, um, that's just wrong teaching. Because if you're gonna teach that, you're gonna have to also teach the other 613 laws uh, if that's what it is. But we don't approach it that way. The reason we tithe as Christians, uh, men who do that, it's because we see it more as the principle in God's word and it predates the, the, the law. There's, there's examples of tithing before the law was ever even given, just like there's an example of the Sabbath before the law was ever given. So it's a principle that's, that's valuable. And, and just like that, I, you know, I found that the principle of tithing works really well and God's word is true and we should have been doing it a long time ago. Um, same thing with the Sabbath. It's a principle that God set, that it's something we get to do. Um, and if you don't, God's not angry at you and you're not going to hell because you didn't keep the Sabbath. But you might be not getting ahead and wondering why your business is struggling, why your family's falling apart, because there's a principle of the Sabbath that just is good for a man. Man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. It's meant to be good for us. So it's a get to. And the dilemma is we're afraid to take a day off. We want to get ahead. Um, do you guys remember in Exodus when the Jews tried to get ahead, there's an exact story. Let me just read it to you real quick. Exodus 16, 22 says this. And it came to pass on the sixth day that the people of Israel gathered twice as much manna, two uh, omers, one for a man, uh, and all the rulers of the congregation and told Moses and said to them, this is that which the Lord hath said, tomorrow is the rest, the Sabbath, the Holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake that which you will, bake today and see that which you will see and that which remaineth lay up for you to be kept till the next morning. And they laid it up till the, till the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither were there any worms therein. And Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall not find in the field. Six days shall you gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. One of the mysteries of this manna that they'd come out and just gather. Um, if they tried to gather more than a day's supply, remember it bred worms and started to stink. So they, they, they do that. But then the Sabbath, they're not supposed to go out and gather. So Moses said, but on the, on the, on the sixth day, gather extra, save that. And, uh, and, and, and then, but, but, but Moses, if we gather that on the sixth day, it'll be like all the other days. It'll breed worms and stink. And Moses says, nope. Only on that day you can gather twice as much and it won't stink the next day, it'll be preserved. That's part of the miracle that God did with manna. 
Um, but there were those in the camp that said, let's try to gather extra and get ahead. Um, but they ended up not getting ahead and ended up, they'd go out on the Sabbath to gather, do the work, but they found nothing. That's an Old Testament picture of a New Testament truth. The principle of the Sabbath. When you say, I'm gonna work on my day of rest and I'm gonna work seven days a week, you might just find nothing there. You might come up empty and you might not be getting ahead even though you're trying or thinking you will. That's a principle of God's word. Um, as a pastor now of quite a few years, I've been you know, in, in ministry pastoring for you know, you know, 30 years, over 30 years now. And I've seen the guys that have tried to get ahead and just blow off a day of rest uh, that, that never really works out for them. But a guy who very intentionally says, I'm gonna make one day out of seven different from the other days. I'm gonna set it aside for something different. Um, I've noticed it works out pretty good. Um, it's just a principle of God's word. The dilemma is we just, because we're li- we have liberty in Christ, um, we just blow it off. So the Sabbath dilemma is what do you do as, as one who has that liberty? Have you just blown it off or do you see it as a principle that's something that's good for us? Um, lastly, Sabbath design. So Sabbath description, rest. Sabbath delight, you'll be blessed. It'll be a good thing. The danger of the Sabbath is legalism about the Sabbath. The dilemma is what do you do? Do you take a day of rest or because we have liberty, do you just blow it off altogether? But here's the thing, the final one, the Sabbath design. Turn with me to one more scripture, Hebrews chapter four. Hebrews chapter four. Now, this is funny because um, who was the book of Hebrews written to? And Hebrews are what? Jews. Don't forget that. It's always enlightening when you read the book of Hebrews and you realize the context is to Jewish people who very much esteem the Sabbath day as kind of a big deal. And they had their Old Testament definition that they were clinging to, and they should have, and they did. But here the author of Hebrews is going to kind of shake up the Sabbath wagon here pretty radically in uh, Hebrews chapter four, verse one. He says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left, lest, uh, left us of entering into his rest. Any, uh, any of you should seem to come short of it. Um, now the word rest there, we're talking about the Sabbath. And, and the author of Hebrews saying, we gotta be afraid of this, that we fall short of entering into his Sabbath his rest. Verse two, for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, And God did rest from the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. The Jews didn't keep the Sabbath the way they were supposed to. Verse seven, again, he uh, limiteth a certain day saying in David today, after so long a time, as it said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus had given them rest, 
then would he not afterward have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore a rest unto the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. <laughs> Isn't that a great little line? Let us work really hard at resting. That's what he's saying. Let us, therefore, labor, verse 11, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. Um, and then it goes on, for the word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. What's this? This is a, a mouthful, this, this language of the author of Hebrews. But um, the, the, the thing that's interesting about this, this is where he, remember when we told you that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath? This is where the author of Hebrews says, Jesus kind of is the Sabbath. The, the rest that we need is found not in a day as much as it is found in a person, Jesus Christ. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And we need to labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. It's, it's a, a scripture worthy of meditation and prayer. And then, of course, um, you know, Jesus would say kind of the same thing in Matthew chapter 11. And uh, this is the last verse I'm going to read. In Matthew chapter 11, and you guys know this, some of you probably by, by heart, where Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Um, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Um, so what, what do we do with this? Well, I think there's a couple things. Um, practically, uh, we need to take a rest just because it's a good principle of God's word, the Sabbath principle. One day should be different than another. And in the New Testament, I think we have great liberty of what that actually means. I, I, and I'm not a relativist, but in this topic, because of what Paul said in Romans, I think you need to kind of dis discern what does a day of rest look like for me? Now, let me just, let's get into exceedingly painful, practical stuff. Um, I think rest is sort of a relative thing. Some of you guys dig ditches um, for a living. So for you, a day of rest is sitting in a lazy boy with your feet up watching football, and that's restful to you, and I get that. I, on the other hand, do ministry. I don't dig ditches anymore. I used to do that when I worked for my dad. Um, but I sit around and talk with people. And I pray and I, you know, break a sweat teaching, sitting here on my stool. And, um, and you know, uh, a day of rest for me is not sitting in a lazy boy with my feet up. A day of rest, I'm just going to say it for me, is to go out and dig a ditch. Like if I have a day off, going out and digging a ditch is where I meet the Lord and I can shovel and pray and, and you know, work up a sweat and, you know, break out some of the cricks in the joints that have been moving all week long. Like, like some of you that sit in a cubicle all week, your day of rest may look different than the, the guy that's, you know, um, carrying hod all week long. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, I think rest is kind of a relative thing to, depending on who you are and what you do. Um, but it's also linked to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And, and um, laboring to enter into that rest, it's more about the person than it is about, you know, what you're doing on the Sabbath day. But this is one of the better definitions for me is 
whatever your day of rest looked like, it should look different than the other six days. That's the main thing. Uh, it should look different, but it should have, if you want to go with the principle of the Sabbath, that day should look different and, and it should be different on a spiritual level as well. Not just on act, uh, activity level. Um, you say, Brett, yeah, I, I take the boat out with the family uh, on the day of rest because it's restful. You know, I'm, I'm not at the office doing work. I'm with my kids and family. That's a day of rest. And I say, good for you. That's great. But there needs to be some kind of a spiritual difference as well that's linked to the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and that's, that's something that a lot of guys leave out of their day of rest. The day of rest needs to be kind of Christ-centered. And I believe you can do that, dig in a ditch. And I also believe you can do that in your boat with your family uh, on the river. Um, but it needs to be intentionally a spiritually rich day where there's prayer and there's discussion and focus and talking about Jesus Christ. I, I think that, you know, the Jews, it was a very spiritual thing in the Old Testament. It wasn't just, uh, I mean, it did eventually become just sort of a, um, a secular almost practice, but it, it was always meant to be a day given to the Lord. That's why the early church called it the Lord's Day. Now, let me just tell you, Sunday is not a, a day of rest for me. It's just not. Um, you know, uh, but, but Monday is. If you've ever tried to get with me on a Monday, you found nothing but uh, uh, dead end. Um, I guard Monday. Monday's my day off. Uh, technically, Sunday and Monday are my days off. And the reason I do that is because all of our um, elders and pastors and volunteers, they're all working like I am on Sunday uh, with a church of this size and stuff. Like, we're all busy on Sunday. But Sunday's not my day of rest. Monday is. And I take that day and I carve it out. It's just a different day and I'm not doing what I do the rest of the week. And it usually involves just being with my wife, prayer, doing some fun stuff, relaxing stuff or, or working together, you know, putting around the house, you know, uh, doing chores. But, but at the same time, bringing the Lord into it and, and making a day that I truly say, Lord, this day is for you. Whatever I do on this day, it's set aside for your purpose. Now, let me get into some more painful stuff. One of the things that many of you guys do all week long is you got your iPhone on you and you're answering texts and emails and you're busy. And that's part of your work, largely. One of the things that I like to do on the Sabbath is just leave my phone elsewhere on the, the day off. Uh, man, that, that's one of the things I think we've lost. We, we, like, we, we don't really have time where we do something different because our brain is still engaging in the same exact way um, because of digital connection. We're so connected now. And I know that some of you even have a bead of sweat going down your brow right now thinking of putting your phone away for more than 10 or 15 minutes, let alone a whole day. But Brett, what if there's an emergency? Who cares? Let the emergency happen. Uh, it'd be better for you to be uh, in, uh, you know, quiet zone with no ringing. Like, I feel like we're a poorer culture because we, we are so connected now. And we're checking and looking and, you know, and, and, and uh, you know what? Um, the other night, I intentionally took my wife out to dinner and I left my phone in the truck, even though it was technically a work day. And as a pastor, you're kind of always on. Um, and, uh, and, and so... You know, you're on call for sure. But I just knew this particular night, I needed to just really tune in to Debbie and I didn't want to have that temptation to kind of check the phone or to show her something on YouTube or whatever we do, you know, at dinner that we think is so romantic. <laughs> but here's the weird thing. I left it and I didn't say anything about it. I just did it. 
And after dinner, we had a great time um, and enjoyed some good food and stuff. But after dinner, Deb said, Brad, think, you know, I just noticed you didn't look at your phone one time and you just like totally tuned into me. And, and like, as a guy, I wouldn't even have noticed that if she did that, you know, I'm like, I wouldn't even have thought about it. But I think the Lord put that on my heart because she recognized I was dialed into her, focused on her. I think that whether we like it or not, our phones, when we're, uh, now my dad cracks me up because he's so old school. You know, he's still got like a flip phone, you know, um, which is amazing because for years he didn't even have a phone. He just had a pager, uh, uh, which long after the pagers were retired, you know. But, um, but my dad, you know, his time was pretty important. And, you know, if you were at a job site and, you know, you got my dad's attention and, you know, and they, they needed, you know, some, if, if you pulled out your phone, your meeting was over. Like that's just, that was his rule. And everybody kind of started to know, oh man, if you're going to meet with Todd, don't touch your phone because that means the meeting is over. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, you know, it's, and it's because his time was super valuable and uh, people wanted him to talk to him all the time. And so he's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put all my attention into you, but you kind of need to put your attention into me because we're going to make this meeting quick and get some stuff done. I wonder if the Lord is put on the sideline. Do you think the Lord is kind of important? to take time and say, Lord, I'm going to put, put aside all my other calls and people and messages and Instagram and Facebook and, and uh, Trump tweets and all that stuff, put it all aside. And I'm just going to say, Lord, you're important enough to me to say, I'm going to intentionally for a day, just disconnect and be connected to you, my family, my wife, my kids, you know, the word. If you're a single guy, say, man, I'm going to devote time to just giving this day to the Lord. And you can still have fun and do what's delightful, Isaiah 58, but bring the Lord into it and, and, and make that day a bit of purpose. Is it something we have to do, Brent? Do I have to go take a day off now? No. But as a principle of God's word, I think you'll be richer, better, sharper than the other guy. If you really want to get ahead in this world, follow the principles of God's word. There was an old logger and a young logger. And they were, as the story goes, you know, cutting trees. And um, the young guy looked at the old guy and said, hey, I challenge you today. You and me, let's see who gets the most work done. And they, they were basically chopping down trees with, with you know, an axe. And the old guy said, okay, you're on. Well, the young guy started going, man, he's just going hard and just chopping away. And the, and the old guy chopped hard too, but, but the young guy would see the old guy sitting down up against trees, you know, taking breaks every so often. And the young guy would kind of laugh. He's not gonna win this. And, you know, and, uh, he's just an old tired dude, you know. And, and then the guy would get back up and start chopping away. And then he'd sit back down, take another break. Well, as the day went on, they, they tallied up the work, the trees that they had cut. And as it turned out, the old guy cut more than the young guy. The young guy says, you cheated. Like, how did you do this? He said, you thought I was sitting there resting, but actually I was there sharpening my ax. <laughs> and, uh, and I like that because a sharp ax gets the work done better. And I, I wonder if you and I are chopping away, you know, with life and we're getting duller spiritually, maritally, family. We're getting duller and duller. We chop away, chop, 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 busy, busy, busy. When the Lord says, take rest. Jesus got away and rested. That's something we just can't get away from. Jesus did it. Um, and he was God in the flesh. Um, and, and we think we're somehow better than Jesus. Whether we say that or not, we, if we don't take breaks and get away and seek the Lord, have quiet time, put, shut down the, the phone, 
and take a rest, I think we think we're better than Jesus because Jesus took time away to rest. Um, so that's the thing, not a legalistic deal, but maybe for something for you to personally pray about. Lord, what does the Sabbath day look like for me? What would you have me to do? What day is that? Not to be legalistic, but as a principle, as what you've called me personally to do, and for you to kind of nail that down today. And I don't think that'll take three hours for you to seek God. What does the Sabbath day look for me? I bet you most of you guys right this very minute know what that looks like for you. Without even hardly praying about it for a second, you probably know, well, the Sabbath with my schedule and the way things go, it probably looks like this. And for you to be sort of intentional. I'm gonna intentionally take that day and carve it out to be different than the rest. The reason I do this is not to make this a topic of ironworks, is not to be a bummer. Just we as men in American culture are not so good at the principle of God's word of the Sabbath and we're missing it. I think we are. We're missing the joy, the blessing. It's not a bummer, not a got to, it's a get to. Give us wisdom, Lord, amen? Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have your heart and your mind on this matter. Um, Lord, I, I know that there are those who feel way more strongly about what the Sabbath means. Um, but Lord, um, it's interesting how your word on this topic, especially in the New Testament, sort of lifts the mandate and it becomes more of um, a principle that we see that's really rich and blessed. I pray, Father, you give us the right heart and the right mind and I pray you give each of my brothers in this room um, wisdom of how to apply that personally, but also in their families, how to um, really apply that practically. Give them wisdom, Lord. And I pray that we'd see good fruit from just being um, sensitive to what your word is teaching on this issue of the Sabbath rest. Lord, I pray that it would be more, not just about the activity on a day, but it, that it would be about the Lord of the Sabbath, um, that we would labor to enter into the rest of Jesus Christ. So help us with that, Lord. Um, give us wisdom, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.